Support the Bartholomew Town Podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Welcome in to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. On today's episode, I go one-on-one with Travis Escobar. Travis Escobar was recently appointed to the Providence School Board by Mayor Jorge Alorza, is the founder of the award-winning organization Millennial RI, and also works with the United Way. Our conversation focused on Travis's vision for reshaping Providence's future through educational practices and new ideas. I want to tell you about Elmwood Songwriters Club coming up here at the Loft in Providence on Saturday, February 16th. Seven unique artists across many genres performing short, intimate solo sets just for you. Not to mention, we'll have guest speaker, Providence City Councilwoman and Bartholomew Town alum, Kat Kerwin. It's this Saturday, February 16th, 7.30 p.m. at The Loft in Providence. For all details, follow us on Instagram at Bartholomew Town Podcast. Elmwood Songwriters Club is presented by the Bartholomew Town Podcast along with our friends, at Lagunitas Brewing Company. We'll see you Saturday. He's making moves one-on-one with Providence's Travis Escobar right now. What's it like now that you've been named to the to the school board? I saw the tweet about like a month ago. It seemed like it was a pretty exciting moment for you. Yeah, uh, born and raised in the, in the city. Um, first of my family to graduate high school, graduate college. Uh, education is such a big deal to me in terms of um, the, the achievement gap right now that we have, uh, the lack of ELL funding. Um, most kids uh, in Providence, unfortunately, live in poverty. So I, I, I'm a fundamental belie- believer that our school system should be working to break poverty cycles instead of um, the test score, the test scores that we've been seeing recently, whether it's um, under 20% of success rate for either English or, or math proficiency um, for the whole city of Providence. So uh, me, I, I want to get into the school board. I, I, I told the finance committee, I was like, I don't want to be a, a board member that just goes along. I would like to actually make change and um, whether that's bringing the community together uh, for certain big issues that impact our city financially, for for the most part, I mean the city is looking at um, at you know potential huge cuts uh, uh, for the school system. Um, again, the lack of ELL funding. I think we need more civic engagement from key stakeholders in the city province, specifically at the state house, where we talk about the school funding formula. Um, and also, I just want to figure out ways uh, as a school board member. Uh, to really, yeah, to really just bring people together and really just have uh, community members know more about what's going on in, in the school system. Um, the the school system has been failing for, for decades now. Like, this is not anything new for the city of Providence or Rhode Island. So I think uh, we need parents and we need our youth, we need voices to just be, to be louder and to actually get um, our elected officials to 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 make change. Um, so I'm hoping to use that uh, school board as a school board member. Obviously, it's going to take me, I think, a whole year to really grasp uh, uh, the school board position. I want to visit as many schools as possible. Um, 
public, even private charter. Like I just want to visit every single school in Providence uh, and just and just learn as much as I can and meet with uh, a whole bunch of different stakeholders. Um, my job at United Way of Rhode Island, I'm already in government relations, so I know a lot about what's what's going on in the state legislature and the budget. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the opportunity. Uh, and I'm hoping that, you know, my voice can add to to some change for our province education system. and I can look at doing things differently down the line. Anything specific? I mean, there's obviously interesting ideas that have been put out there already, but also the infrastructure problems we've seen at some schools. There's the famous trash can with you know, rain pouring into it, all of these major problems. But is there anything specific that kind of you're you're thinking of right now? Um, as far as how you would implement change from the get-go? I mean, one thing I really want to look into is uh, diversity of our education workforce. Um, that there's There's been, you know, uh, already the outreach and community outreach done by um, the mayor in particularly with uh, he's, he's had convenings of, of, of student groups, youth groups. That's been one of our recommendations um, is diversifying our, our, our education workforce. So I want to look at as a school board member, what can what can we do? I know that the mayor has been um, working with Rhode Island College, right, the, the hub for for. Um, um, getting more teachers out into to the workforce. I'm talking about that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a Rhode Island College alum. I'm on the Rhode Island College Foundation Board, so I'm hoping to also serve as a connector in that way. But that would be one of my one of my top issues and in, in, in lo- looking what I can do there, right? Uh, I went to um, Times Square Academy, uh, uh, charter school. Um, I really think that was the greatest decision my, my mom ever ever made. Uh, I had young people of color that were educators. It was kind of the first time I saw a man of color, you know, wear a suit and tie, right? Um, and you know, talk to me about sort of like the realities of the world as a, a person of color. And he would sort of bring that, you know, a collection of teachers would sort of bring that up, right? Reminding us of sort of the achievement gap and some of the, um, you know, expectations that, you know, you, you might not have as a young person of color coming from from Providence. And that was, you know, that was eye-opening for, for me to even see just people of color as educators, uh, whereas, you know, I grew up in the south side of Providence, this was during like the Jersey era where it was just cool to have baggy jerseys, you know, Air Force Ones and, and, and whatever. Right. And do rags and whatever. Right. So like every dress down day, like I would come in, I would steal like my brother's my brother's sneakers. And we only had like and we had uniforms. We only had one dress that down um, day a month. And I'd come in uh, with like some fresh kicks and jerseys or whatever. Like, uh you know, I thought that like that was that was success, right? Um, and not that dress matters or anything like that, but I'm saying that was just a huge thing for me growing up. Like looking back, like to see that a diverse workforce that was really essential for me. And we don't we don't have that in in our school system right now. And um, I'm not saying that's the be all end all for that that would you know greatly improve all of the outcomes. I think the the number one problem our youth face is being in poverty. Right? There's so many issues that that they're facing i think we need more mental health uh services but so i want to look into diversity of workforce but the funding right the where, where we're at with our with our with our pension um 
problem and we're at just, you know, financially as a city, we really need the state um, to, I think, support us and figure out ways to be part of the solution. Um, I think our Providence delegation should really be coming together right now at the time of the General Assembly to look at um, what we can be doing at the state level. I, I think it's an all-hands-on approach right now because if we don't figure out the financial challenges that we have in the city – um, the school system, you know, the school board is going to be have. We're going to have to force to cut um, programs that, that are just going to impact our youth. Yeah, that's obviously totally unacceptable. Yeah, what's your thought as as just a citizen of Providence? I suppose right now, um, this is something I ask everybody who comes on here about Providence: the economic disparity that we see in the city. All you have to do, I've said this a zillion times as well, but all you have to do is leave our studio here in Elmwood and drive, what, a mile and a half downtown and go Mm. up to College Hill, and you'll see night and day in terms of the realities of the world. What can the school system in Providence do to kind of play as a central connector um, to try to bring the city together in an organic way and lift people out of poverty? Yeah, I I think we need to make... Uh, our school system as inspiring as possible, right? We have chronic absenteeism rate, uh, not only for teachers, but our educators. You know what's going on with that, right? Um, I think in a utopian world, our teachers should be making, you know, like six figures, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I know that, I know, I know financially that that's, that's impossible, right? Um, but, it, you know, <sighs> It, it, you know, that report came out in terms of educators, you know, chronic absenteeism, chronic absenteeism rate, and is that the facilities that that's going on right now? Is it, um, are just are just teachers just not happy in in their current role? I mean, our students are just not are happy just going to school. I mean, going to school that's that's a big part of it. So how do you do that? I'm hoping with the investments we had, um, not only in the city but statewide in terms of improving our, our school infrastructure, I hope that will that will help. Um but again I I, I do think at least for for students, like having a more diverse workforce, having more mental health so, uh, mental health counselors, um, I think that will also add to hopefully bringing um, uh, bringing down the chronic absenteeism rate. I, there's just there's just so much going on, right? When you're talking about the education system, and right now, like I'm going to be completely in a learning stage of my of myself, learning from the board members that have been there for for a long time to again talking to as many principals and teachers and student um organizations as possible to learn to see what I can do but I think part of the reason why the mayor appointed me is that I've been very um I've been very good at bringing people together and convening a whole different eclectic groups t- uh together to um to either drive a mission or, or drive a purpose um, so I'm hoping to do that in in the province education system. Um, always knowing that I don't know everything, but I'm probably going to learn a whole lot uh, this past year. And I always talk from a place of, of passion and heart because I want to see province succeed. I want to. I mean, again, like just uh, our kids are overwhelmingly uh, people of color. Our kids are over, most of them are overwhelmingly living in, living in poverty um, and. If we're not setting them out to succeed, they're just going to continue, right? They're, they're not going to go to college. They're not going to graduate. They're not going to be um, um, 
part of our overall economic uh, climate, right? Uh, so we just we just need to we just need to, we just need to do a better job of preparing our kids for 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 the future, um, and I'm I'm hoping to do that in my you know my role as a school board as a school board member, um, but yeah I think uh, having our school system as a place of inspiration because it was tough sometimes like going going to school and um, you know we we I, I grew up in um in poverty and you know sometimes like, you don't want to go to school right or so- something happens at home and you're just like I'm, I'm like this is not sort of the going to a geometry class is not sort of the top top thing on my mind right now right uh so you know i think about all of that and i'm just hoping i can make some change or be an advocate um to speak specifically for for our youth and then of course there's the other side of that equation which is when you have successful persons who who come through the Providence school system, how do you get them to contribute to Rhode Island after they graduate, after yeah. they either go to, to, to college here or vocational training or start a business or military, whatever it is, here in Rhode Island or abroad, how do you get them abroad, <laughs> outside <laughs> of the state? <laughs> how do you get them to invest their energy and their talents that have been shaped by this you know, beautifully reconstructed school system that you have in mind, which I totally agree is is the route or, or core elements to to reconstructing it. But how do you get them then to start businesses or bring their talents to back to Providence? So I'm a big believer of expansion, um, expanding uh, our I promise, our or just free college in in general. Um, one, I think. One and a half trillion dollars of debt in America, uh, student loan debt in Rhode Island. Uh, we are top five average of, of student loan debt. I think uh, you, if you get in top talent from from high school, they're graduating, looking at their options. And if Rick and you or I and CCRI, I think that you know, as a as a as a young person being born and raised or whatever, whatever the criteria is, having an option for free education. That's going to be very attractive to the, um, to that group. The reason why I went to Rhode Island College, I mean, I was I was a knucklehead in high school, uh, barely graduated high school. Um, when I had two options, a URI and Rhode Island College, I chose Rhode Island College because they gave me a better financial offer. My family didn't have any money really to add into my education. Uh, so I think when we're talking about at least Providence specifically, with a lot of families that are unfortunately struggling. Yes, a free education for their 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 young child, right? That's going to be very attractive, and that's going to help them um, sort of get out of poverty because uh, student loan debt is just forcing young people to not buy homes, to not start businesses, to not really invest in retirement. To not right? buy Dunkin' Donuts, not you know? Buying- <laughs> Whatever, uh, you know? <laughs> uh, so that's that's huge, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, student loan uh, um, free college programs are student loan debt repayment programs or tax credits. Big believer in that. Uh, we need more affordable housing, period. We just need more housing stock. Um, through United Way of Rhode Island, I, I, I co-chair sort of like a, a statewide policy group. There's campaign Homes R.I. that had more of an official launch last Tuesday uh, with the governor and other stakeholders. Uh, housing, housing like education, these are whole loaded issues where I don't think there's one solution anyone can really pat and say, oh, if you do that, that's going to fix everything within the whole system. Uh, housing, we definitely need more investment in affordable housing, but 
each city and town has their own unique um, uh, issue that they need to sort of address when it comes to housing, especially the cities and towns that don't meet, you know, a 10 percent requirement for uh, minimum requirement for affordable housing. Um, But yeah, so if we're talking about a young person cannot have student loan debt, have a get a college degree debt free, um, they can find a place to live very cheaply. Uh, I think that's going to lead them to more opportunities to want to start a business here or find a job here in in Rhode Island. I think that's what we should be. We should be preparing our generation to be debt free and have the opportunity to live in a in a safe, affordable place to call home. I think if you, you take care of those two basic aspects, that's economic development. We're going to have more young people decide to stay here. Um, I think we should probably just do more for young people that have great uh, great um, business ideas that are fresh out of college or even in college. Uh, we had, what was the company name? Uh, Teespring, a couple of students from, from Brown University, right? Um, they were here. Teespring was driving here. They ended up taking their shipments to, I think, North Carolina and moving their business to California. I remember there was an article at the time asking people, like, hey, did you know what Teespring was? And they were like, I don't know what Teespring. So I, we we have some of the best colleges and universities in the state. Uh, just in general, why are we not doing uh, a great job of keeping that talent here, making that talent um, view R- Rhode Island as a place to call home instead of a stepping stone to to something else? Um, I think pride is is. I mean, I love Providence. I love Rhode Island. Um, there really is no other place I'd much rather call home. Uh, I have this goal to like to visit every single state in in the country and like travel and whatever. Uh, I recently saw New Orleans last year. I love New Orleans. Um, I wouldn't want to live in New Orleans. Like this is this is this is home to me. Um, but a lot of people don't feel that way for for one reason or the other. Uh, and I think we just we need to tackle that too. I think it's part of our brand. It's part of how people talk about the city. They talk about the state. But yeah, uh, education free. Um, I mean, a debt-free education and a place to call home. Two solid, <laughs> two solid aspects. I think to keep really anyone in a in a place. Yeah, and if the levers of ingenuity work the right way, then the jobs of the future will be here. The industries of the future will be right here in Rhode Island as well. We'll see how that that pans out. The critical element. But let's talk about Millennial RI um, and United. I guess kind of United Way and sort of your just your work in. As a connector, do you feel like that's your your biggest job in this life right now? Is just connecting connecting your ideas and the right people in the right places. Yeah, I definitely feel that way. Uh, so, I, I graduated um, twenty thirteen, went on college, studied political science, studied uh, public administration. Uh, first thing I did was buy business cards. It just said my name. <laughs> graduate from college number that was it uh it was like 13 dollar vista print cards and i was a student government kid at renown college student body president a couple of years so I, I did a whole bunch of cool things whether it's like bringing concerts or going to state of the union address with shell miles like i did like my college experience was dope uh i come out of college i'm like i gotta i gotta network i gotta meet as many people as possible i also had some Something in the back of my mind, I was like, all right, maybe I want to actually go live somewhere for a year, go to New York for a year, whatever. 
Um, so I have my business cards. One of the first people I met was uh, uh, Jorge Alorza, who's you know gearing up for running. I joined him to be like one of his first volunteers, and I just got to meet just so many great people in in the state and in the city that were looking to do great things. And one of the things that came to mind was like I really wanted to create. A, a diverse space for for young people to come together. And I was meeting with a couple of people that was looking to create some sort of young professional group. I think there was a lean toward a, a young Latino professional group at the time. And uh, my idea was like, wouldn't it be cool if like young Latinos kind of created something for everyone? So that's how Millennial Rhode Island uh, came about. And that was, you know, I, I did an op-ed in late 2014 in Providence Journal, and I I I talked about a lot of issues that we were talking about, student loan debt, housing, people leaving the state. And I left my email address. I'm like, if you want to help, this is what I want to create. I left my email address. And so many people outreached to me. Um, they, I mean, they, re- they reached out. And that was really reassuring in terms of Rhode Island, I believe, is a place where if you're looking to do something you want to create, I think pe- there are people that want to generally see you succeed or generally see – you know, I, I, I really felt that way, like uh, coming out. Someone I was thinking like, oh, I want to leave or something. There were so many people that were looking to give resources or connect me to other people or donate their time, their money. Their sp- and I was just, you know, the only thing I had was, I mean, a lot of people knew me through being a volunteer for Jorge Lorza. But other than that, I really didn't have any sort of like credentials, right? I was a recent college graduate that was just meeting a whole bunch of different people. And a lot of people gave me their time, and that was really reassuring. Um, and, you know, we, we it's going to be our fifth year. Uh, we're celebrating our fifth year on March 28th. Um, and to be able to, and it's been a volunteer run organization, Millennial Rhode Island. Our hashtag has been Choose Our Eyes. So that's going to be our fifth annual. It's our fifth annual Choose Our Eyes celebration. So we went through stages of, I didn't know how to start a nonprofit, found people to help me create the nonprofit, make it legal, join a board, spend time to do that. Um, events for the first year was completely out of out of pocket. Like I didn't have, I didn't have any money and I was making, I think, less than $30,000 at, at the time. Um, but people were giving up space for free. I mean, our first event, someone like donated apps and space for free. And we had, you know, close to a couple hundred people on like a cold February day. And to where we have like a membership card program where restaurants are just giving discounts. If you're part of, part of the pro, uh, part of the organization, our website, a, a, a young local, um, communications firm, uh, luminous agency, great people. They donated their time to create, which I, I would put our website, uh, I would, comp- you know, I'd put our website up against any other sort of um, other websites out there. What is locally. that website for the uh... millennialri.com? Uh, you know, they've been great to I've, I've got we've gotten we've had so many great volunteers, so many great people to don't, you know, um, to just really stand for the mission of promoting Rhode Island to. Uh, young people are just promoting Rhode Island in general, adding another space of of positivity um, in in this state, uh, which I think has been really great. And you know, we do the networking events, we do workshops around financial literacy and how to buy a home, and we've done workshops on how to build a brand. So we do like other it's called adulting one on one workshops. So different workshops on that. That's try to be free. Our membership program is only thirty bucks, but it really just goes back into um, the organization in terms of programming. And the last part that we're going to be 
uh, launching in the next couple of weeks is sort of a public policy agenda. So it's taken a while to like build the foundation for organization um, and have those little, you know, those little, whether it's like contacts and, you know, uh, CRM databases and, you know, et cetera, to get everything off the ground uh, that we want to have more of a voice on, on advocacy and policy, which we've sort of done. We've picked an issue every year, but we want to have more of that holistic approach and be millennial, have Millennial Rhode Island more out there um, for that. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with having the millennial voice louder in Rhode Island when it comes to policymaking at this point, it seems like it's there, but we need more of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of young people are leaving. I mean, um, with the next census and our population, right. Uh, they are, they're thinking we might lose a congressional seat. Uh, I remember we hosted a town hall with David Cicilline, who I think is great. Uh, yeah, he was on this show earlier this year, or early, not this year, last year. He was on the show. You know? Energetic, right? One of the, <laughs> one of the, one probably one of the best uh, uh, sort of politicians out there in terms of like making you feel good about an experience, right? Which healthy is, looking, yeah. healthy skin, and you know he was he was he was ripped and <laughs> yeah. ready to take on the world. He goes to know? he goes to like a local he goes to like a local gym in North Providence too, apparently frequently. Uh, that that my girlfriend um, um, sees him on a frequent basis. Yeah. So, yeah, no, he's 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 great. But I remember we hosted a town hall. It was like a millennial town hall a couple of years ago, and I asked that question about about the census. We can't lose a congressional seat. Uh, you know, close to a ten billion dollar budget. I believe like three and a half billion is federal dollars. Losing one person, right? We only have four. Losing one person that doesn't help us. That doesn't help. It doesn't help our state at all. Uh, so I've been thinking about this for years now, and now it's like, it's a come to Jesus moment. We're trying to count everyone, Yeah, I, but I can't, I can't hold, I think the governor has been working, you know, the, uh, talk about student loan repayment program. She's worked to do that Wavemaker fellowship. It's been mostly with STEM, uh, and, uh, people in STEM field, but I, I think that's a good step forward. The RI promise, I think is a big deal. She's, I think she's, you know, there's been investments in affordable housing. We could do a lot more investments. Um, so I can't, and I know the mayor, I mean, we, we did a millennial task force and one of the outcomes was like appointing a lot more young people to boards and commissions again, getting them more engaged. That's, I think that's been successful. Uh, it's just, uh, they, we, we just got to keep, keep, banging on that issue of we need Rhode Island as a place, not only for young people, just people to succeed and want to choose to live here. Um, but yeah, that, that advocacy piece, I think is, we're hoping to have it be a, a larger, um, I guess more awareness out there about, you know, sort of millennial issues or young people issues. Right. So it's not this whole student loan debt crisis, whole uh, affordable housing, um, jobs. That's not going to just be a millennial problem. That's the next generation is going to face that. And even more, if we keep raising, um, tuitions, how we're doing, if, you know, if rent keeps going up, uh, I, I, you know, I live on, on, on Elmwood, off Elmwood on Atlantic Avenue. Uh, I pay eight twenty five for, for an apartment that I remember a couple of years ago when I was looking for apartments was $600. Um, and we see like the West end that's getting more expensive. Out of control. I mean, we, yeah. we looked for, for months for a place thinking that was where we'd end up. You know, it's where most of the, the friends we'd met were living and, and as far as the newer Providence, and I was stunned to see the 
you know, the disgusting rent prices that were <laughs> they have yeah. going there now. It's pathetic. And that's the thing, too. It's not – so it, it's ra- it's rising, right? The rents are rising. But the quality of the apartment's housing. Awful. Yes. Yeah. Awful. I mean it's one thing if you're paying for – like we have a, this loft here, and we probably could live for less, you know, in the city. But it's worth it. We've got a loft space here, and we can be creative. And our, we have a community and a parking space, but there are – so far off the mark in terms of what they deliver in a lot of these units in, in Providence. And, and, and that's a big factor in why there should be an uprising right now against the, the increased rent because they're not even delivering something that is going to increase the productivity of the people who live in those units. Mm-hmm. So uh, in Providence, I, there's still a lot to be done with the, the blighted and vacant properties. Um I've, you know, I've I've kind of tinkered around with the idea of, like, what's going to happen with the mall soon? We've had other areas in the country look at malls of, like, all right, no one really wants to go shop at malls for, for, for a lot of reasons, you know? How do we, maybe, how do we look at malls as a way to maybe put some housing in there? What's going on with all the Bennies, right? Uh, Carpe and Auto Group, I think, bought them up, right? So it's like, can we strike a deal and and everybody wins? You yeah, know? how can that happen? Yeah, I I think we just need to get more creative in Providence around around housing. What are we doing for for TSAs and big developers? And um, but I mean, Providence is well above their quota when it comes to uh, affordable housing. It's also getting the other cities and towns to to definitely buy into that too. But there's there's nimbyism. There's Slight racism, right? When it comes- Slight racism? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't go whole racism, but yeah, I don't know. No, yeah. I, think it's, I think more of it's even just embedded in a, a long history of fear in the Northeast, you know, going yeah. back to are you going to survive the winter? Are, are natives going to pillage you in the middle of the night? You yeah. know, is, all of that is still here, and, and that impacts how – Decisions are decisions are made at some level. Big vision, uh, big fear of um, more kids in the school system. Cause oh yeah. Out. <laughs> so yeah, it's just. But I and this is what we're looking to do with the Homes Right campaign. A lot of my work through United Way is um, I work on government relations around housing and uh, education, particularly after school and and summer learning education. Um, but on the housing front, I think there's a message to be had here. Even when you tie in with, um, the young generation, um, for, for older people that might have those fears, Hey, your kid might not be able to live in your neighborhood, right? Not, might not be able to afford to buy the homes that you bought for, for them to start there. Like if you want your family, your children to start families and you want your grandkids to live in the state, you need to pick housing as one of your top issues, right? Otherwise, you're going to see them go off elsewhere. And you're going to be like, oh, I miss my kid. I, w- I wish to get it, you know? So I think there's a message to be had to break all break down those barriers. I'm hoping this campaign will play um, a role in that. I'm hoping what we're doing with Millennial Rhode Island, I hope we can play a role um, in that. But uh it's it's sometimes sad and, and disconcerting some of the comments you kind of see about housing. So we we had a, a, a paid ad for um, Homes R.I. It was just talking about the uh, um, the bill we're looking to pass for anti-housing uh, discrimination. So uh, section you get Section 8. It's already hard to get Section 8, right? And there's a lot of places on Craigslist that says, you know, no Section 8 allowed. So 
because they they have all those negative stigmas against those type of people. So it's trying to break make that illegal, right? Not not try, not to have uh, discrimination based on source of income, and it, it could also be based on you know you're making money for for college or SSI, or a whole bunch of other things, right? Just in general, um, and you know we 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 put that ad out and we saw so many negative comments about you know. No, people should work for it. No, but like all of these, like think of all the comments you kind of see, right? All the negative comments, and it was just all embedded on there. And it's just kind of sad that people feel that way. Yeah, I agree. I heard someone, I don't remember who it was, someone, uh, she called up, I think she's an attorney for, on behalf of, of your group, of that group, Homes R.I., mm-hmm. on, on the radio yesterday. And um, yeah, it just didn't seem like the message was coming across. No, wait a second. This is basically already illegal. We're just ad- advocating for people's rights mm-hmm. and trying to in- codify the the areas that aren't tied together. But fundamentally, it's also just wrong yeah. and stupid. Yeah, and and, and so judgmental. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's a major problem for why we can't get out of our own way. Sometimes it's just those inherent biases that people put up and make that decision. All right, you know what? I'm going to live in my little bubble, and yeah. the second anyone pushes on that bubble, um, all hell is going to break loose. And this is not just unique to Rhode Island, right? Like, There's oh, just anger yeah. Yeah. in this country, um, and it's just – it you know, it doesn't – I guess it can make some sense uh, on levels, but at the end of the day, it's like it's not hurting you to give someone a home. Right to help to help to help individuals get off the streets and get a safe, affordable place to live. Right, that's not who, who's that hurting. So, but people get angry when they read about Section A and they get angry about, um, you know, what we're trying to do to just end homelessness and you know make housing more affordable. It's it's a uh, it's sometimes bizarre to me, right? Um, but yeah, there's just so much anger out there. Well. Good thing you're, uh, you know, out there combating it for sure <laughs> on a daily basis. Appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today, but I'll be back next week with brand new episodes on Tuesday and Friday. Until then, I'm Bill Bartholomew. We'll talk soon. Discover the dozens of conversations I've had on the Bartholomew Town podcast with Rhode Island politicians, media members, artists, and beyond at BartholomewTown.com, RIPodcast.com, or on Apple Podcasts.